What does it mean to be a thought leader? What kind of content does a thought leader produce? And maybe the biggest question of all, once you've got good content that reflects your strategic thinking, how do you make sure that the world will even see it? Those are just three questions that we asked our guest for today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Alyssa Burkus is a strategist, a copywriter, a member of the Think Tank, and a thought partner for her clients. And she shared how she helps them build their audience with great thinking. We also talked about working through serious difficulties, what to do when change becomes a constant, how to pivot, and creating a writing habit that will actually stick. This is an episode definitely worth listening to twice. Maybe three times, maybe four times. Uh, before we get to the interview though, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That is our mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who wanna figure out the next phase of their business, right? Some things are working well in their business, but they wanna figure out what comes next. They wanna increase their revenue. They want to figure out new revenue streams increase visibility, um, and really figure out what their X factor looks like so they can build a business around that. We actually have a retreat coming up in June. It's a virtual retreat on June 2nd and 3rd. So it's coming up fast. And if you want to participate in that, uh, you can apply today to see if you're a good fit in the Copywriter Think Tank. We also have a retreat that we're really excited about coming up in September in London. And Rob and I are thrilled to have an excuse to fly to London and hang out with the copywriters. It's kind of doesn't get better than that, does it, Rob? Does not get better than hanging out with copywriters in the UK. All right. So, Rob, I have a quick question for you. Um, you've been to many retreats that we've hosted and that you've been a part of. I wonder which one stands out as maybe a favorite retreat that you've participated in or have hosted and why? Ooh, that's a, that's a really hard question to answer because most of them are pretty good. Let me just speak in general. So I really like retreats where I come away with ideas that I can implement in my business. That, that like is the thing that sets them apart. So been to events where I'm excited, you know, I'm, I'm jazzed up and then I get home. It's like, well, how do I actually execute on that thing? And for me, the ones that really set it apart is here's a tactic. Here's exactly how you implement it. Here are the steps and that really walk you through that. So that stuff makes a difference to me and it makes it feel more useful. It gives me a pattern that I can follow to make sure that I'm making changes in my business. And hopefully it makes my business grow or, or you know, changes some way that I can reach new people, that kind of thing. So that's the stuff that makes the difference to me. And we've been in a couple of masterminds where we've had that. So uh, a couple of Brian Kurtz's um, groups that we attended, he recently just ended his mastermind. But uh, when we were in it, there were a few people like that where I just walk away. I'm like, wow, these are five ideas that I want to implement. And in the mastermind that you and I are in currently, that happens virtually every time. And I hope it's something that we deliver every time we have a think tank retreat as well. Yes, I thought you were going to say Barcelona. <laughs> Barcelona. Barcelona was a lot of fun for a lot of reasons. And that one actually had some really good takeaways. We talked very specifically about how you can charge for the value of content, which is something that a lot of people don't know how to do. We teach it in the accelerator, but uh, it's one of those kinds of things where, you know, these are the things that don't often get taught in the real world because they're kind of complex. You know, they involve spreadsheets and multiple steps. And oftentimes you just have to be in the room to learn this stuff. 
We also played a very competitive game of foosball in the basement of that that house in Barcelona. Um, I was quite a fierce competitor. I don't think we played, Rob. I don't think you... I did not play you. <laughs> I've learned I've learned my lessons in playing you. Uh, if I lose, it's embarrassing, and if I win, it destroys our relationship. So. Uh... All right. So if you're listening and you're interested in being a part of a mastermind that could help you figure out what's next in your business and not just give you ideas, but give you a plan and provide coaching, not only from us, the two of us, but from a mindset coach, from a visibility coach, from a systems and growth coach. So you have all the coaching support you need to actually make the shift in your business. Check out copywriterthinktank.com for more information. Okay, let's kick off our episode with Alyssa. It is a long and windy path. I've been a reader and a writer for a long time, but didn't follow that as a career path initially. I didn't really realize or know how to make it a real job. And so I did the regular thing, uh, or at least what the people around me were doing. I went to university and then I also did grad school and I took a corporate job at a global change consulting company, which I had done my undergrad in sociology. And so this felt like this giant leap forward, which was um, exciting. Um, The work really involved the training and communications around large technology implementations for giant companies. So if you can imagine, you know, the, the note from the CEO of a company about a new program was written by people like me, sort of corporate comms, but for specific change programs. I did that for a number of years and progressed and really enjoyed it. But the work was grueling. Um, I was a newlywed at this point. I was on the road a lot. And so I made the decision, like a number of other people around me at the time, and I jumped from this giant global company into a startup. I was at a tech startup. I was employee number 11, doing a mix of project work and also setting up their HR function for the first time, which was really fun. My partner was already working there. We were newlyweds. It was it was really, it was a great decision, really exciting project. And about a year into it, I was diagnosed for the first time with cancer, with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So all this momentum that I was feeling around career and life kind of ground to a halt. Um, I had uh, six months of chemo. um, And as I was going through this, our company was acquired by a giant technology company. And so as I'm kind of recovering, I'm stepping back into the world that I had thought I'd escaped and I was back into all the corporate things and also trying to figure out what the new normal would be for my life. I was diagnosed with a chronic cancer, so we knew that it would recur. Um, I was given a prognosis that was, I guess, encouraging from the doctor's perspective, but worrisome from our perspective. And so having to make decisions like, what do I do for my job? Do we have kids? Um, Do we plan a vacation? Do we save for retirement? Like, heady things that were tricky at the time. But we just decided that we needed to act as if I would 
live a long time, that there would be a cure in my lifetime. And so we started doing regular people things again. We had a baby. But as I was in this big giant company, I was getting really restless. I'm not really cut out for big companies. And so I started my first company, change consulting company, and made that transition into uh, entrepreneur life, which was exciting and lots of the ups and downs that you both know well. Trying to basically have a set of long-term retainers. So they were long-term projects, doing many of the things that I'd learned um, right out of university, corporate communications, training programs. It's really where I learned how to step into other people's voices from a writing perspective and, and trying to do that well, learning to write. At least from my perspective, it was important to write to uh, the grumpiest, most checked out person in the room. And if I felt like I was writing in a way that would land for them, then the program uh, would get the buy-in that we needed. The pieces would, you know, land land well. Um, so that was kind of the the mindset that I took there, and it was great. But I found the wild swings of ups and downs really hard. Um, having a you know twelve to eighteen month more than full time assignment, and then you know that feeling of like stepping into this sunshine after a afternoon movie, right? You're sort of a little discombobulated, and you're back to selling again and, you know, putting aside the client's identity and stepping back into your company again. And so I, I've, I found that challenging. And at the same time, dealing with more cancer treatment, we had another, another baby, you know, there, there were just a lot of things going on. And then a client uh, reached out and said, the work that you're doing, we're going to make it full time. This was a, another tech startup. Um, it's actually where I met Kira. And at first in my head, I'm thinking, I, I'm not employable. Like I don't want to be an employee again. But then I realized that there were a lot of things that stepping away from being a business owner and being in a team again, inside a company, doing work that was really interesting was really appealing to me. And so I jumped back into startup life for a number of years. But a year into that, I was diagnosed for the third time with cancer. This time was a really aggressive form. I had a lot of um, more difficult treatment. I had a stem cell transplant. And that really um, shook things up for me in a different way. I really felt like well, first of all, I had some physical challenges now from treatment. Um, the way I worked changed. I needed to manage my work differently. Um, my memory, there were just some physical things that had changed. And as I approached turning 50, I was really feeling this sense of, what do I want to do with my life? I've been doing a lot of the same things again. Do I want to stay here? And I realized I'm, I wanted to go back to being a business owner again, but I wanted to do it really differently. And so through conversations with different people and also just kind of thinking about, I kept asking myself the question, like, what if it was easy and realized what I wanted to do was write and also do some coaching. And so that's how I kind of found my way back into this business. It's been about 18 months. I do thought leadership writing, so long form content, eBooks, 
a book book, a long form full book last year for clients who are looking to build their authority in their space. Um, and I've been doing that uh, in different ways. I experimented a lot at the beginning. I did all the things uh, from email newsletters, web copy, research pieces, etc. until I really kept narrowing it in to longer form content, specifically focusing on strategy um, and launching my course. So I've now got this nice mix that feels really solid, even though it's taken me a while to kind of get to this, this place. Well, I, I don't even know where to start. Like you, uh, there's so there's so many. I'm places old. There's to go, lots of so. things. Yeah. Let's let's talk just a little bit about uh, the cancer, um, because sure. obviously, you know, we, we've talked about hardships and things that people go through. You know, personally, um, mm. can't even imagine three times. Mm. Uh, I, I'm curious if you have advice for somebody who is facing that kind of a challenge in their lives. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's something else. But yeah. how how do you stay positive? You know, when you're looking at something that is the you know it's life threatening and maybe yeah. worse. Uh, maybe there's a, a decent outcome at the end. But like, yeah. yeah, what advice do you have for somebody who might be facing something like that in their life? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because of the uncertainty, which I think people feel in different ways in their businesses, um, in their lives at different times. Um, we can't always plan things out. I think cancer removes the illusion that we're going to live forever. Forever, We all sort of act as if we're going to live forever. And cancer is a big wake-up call for a lot of people. I'm never one of those people that says cancer is a gift. I'd rather keep that unwrapped, I guess. Um, there's a lot of things that cancer can illuminate for you, can really um, bring into sharp focus things that are important, sometimes creates a bit of urgency, which can also be scary. And so I, when I, I do some cancer recovery coaching and what I often will talk to people about is just focusing on today. So people get really caught up in the uncertainty of what's going to happen six months from now, what's going to happen two years from now. And so I really try to bring people back to today. What's something small you can do every day to help you feel that you're taking action towards um, what feels important. It might be towards your physical recovery. It might be towards your mental recovery. It might be helping get clarity on what you want to do from a jobs, relationships, you know, any number of um, factors or elements that are in your life. Um, so it can help you just taking those small steps forward Things can feel really overwhelming and they can feel permanent, especially soon after you're finished the toxic treatment, you're expecting to feel well quickly. And for some people, they absolutely do. And other people, for me, I, I got really frustrated how long it was taking to recover. And did I need to treat this as the way it was going to be? Or what could I expect to further recover? And it can be hard. So when you're 50 and you make this pivot and yeah. you know you you can teach a masterclass in a on pandemic, right? And and like you said, you had a stem cell treatment. You were physically mm. not feeling well, um, dealing with you know memory struggles. How do you start a business and approach it in a way where you're like, I'm going to do this my way. I can't do it 
the way society is telling me to do it. I can't do it the culture of hustle way. Um, and my health and life depends on it. And I have to make it work too. I also have to make money and make the business run. Like, where do you even start to almost fight society and how you're building because you can't do it the way other people are doing it? Yeah, it's hard. Um, I don't always follow my own advice and find myself getting pulled back in. I try to focus on what are the very specific things that I believe will move the needle or or create the momentum I'm looking for in my business. I can get caught up in social media, but the reality is my clients really don't come from there. And so, or at least at this point, historically, it's been more LinkedIn. And I'm also trying to do more organic search and SEO as a path in. But social, it's easy for me to get really caught up in social media and it's also exhausting. And so I try to find ways to streamline that as much as possible, which is contrary to what some people will say about having a presence in in different places. I really looked at managing energy through the day uh, and not just physical energy, although there's a part of that, but um, mental energy and cre- for creative tasks specifically. The experts say, right, first thing in the morning, that never really worked for me. The experts would say, you needed to do so many pieces or manage your calendar in a certain way. Time blocking, as an example, that really never has worked for me because of some of the changes in my brain. And so I just focused on really continuing to analyze how I'm approaching my work and looking for what's working and what's not working and trying to be in that mode of sort of perpetual beta, right? Continuing to refine, try not to get too frustrated when the way I tried wasn't working and and just keep coming back to what's the core of my business, where are the clients going to come from, where can I create efficiencies in how how I'm delivering Uh, my work. You mentioned your first solo business was being a change consultant. Uh, That seems pretty forward looking, Uh, you know, as you maybe examine your life, it's like, wow, like everything was changed for a long time. And, you know, that's maybe not different from many of us, but how did what you did as a change consultant impact the changes that you've made over the course of your career to the point where you are copywriting today? One of the biggest things that was a skill that I built early was thinking strategically in a situation and building those strategy skills. And really simply, it's what's the work that making sure that the plan connects to the bigger goals, um, whether they're monetary or other things, and that the goals are really clear. That has served me well through all of my work. I think too, there's something about change consulting. It's interesting because it's really about persuasion, right? It's convincing people to who are resistant, right? We all would rather stay in many of us anyway, in a state of steadiness and certainty. Um, And the idea of change is difficult for people. So I think understanding that mindset coming into it for ourselves and others of really need to being clear on the why of the situation as a way to help get us out of that steady state or unwillingness mode and start to work towards 
making that change happen. So I try to bring some of those things into uh, my writing even today. So really stating at the outset, what's the why? Uh, or what's the thing, the what, what's the so what? So what do they, why do they need to care about it? Why will it change their life in real words, not in over, you know, overstating words? And then what are we going to do about it? What's the, the now what for them? And so trying to come back to those basic principles um, has really helped me as well in terms of thinking about my own life and some of the many changes that that I've needed to kind of work through as well. Yeah, I guess I'm wondering if we can go back to the process as you were thinking about what do I want to be when I grow up and you landed on Mm. writing. You know, you mentioned while I was thinking about what if it could be easy and that might have guided you. But what else? I mean, it's how else did you figure out this is what I want to do? This is what I'm going to go in on. My work at the more recent startup was with consultants and coaches and helping them build leadership training programs, uh, change programs in different, in their own, they were small business owners as well. And so I knew that space really well. I had all this domain knowledge, but I knew I didn't want to go back to having my own change company. And so I was really worried about, did I need to let go of all this domain knowledge if I wanted? I knew I loved writing and it had been so much of my work. And so thinking about, okay, I've got this audience of consultants and coaches. They need help. They were constantly asking for um, sales and marketing help. You know, the problem that we all have of not enough resources or people to help them. I had this, this knowledge. And so I went into my business with starting with a deep niche um, in really focusing specifically on consultants and coaches, which is a bit atypical, probably could have been more broad, but that's the space, the business that I knew. I understood their business their work, and I'd also been their client at different times, right? So I really understood that full relationship and what was needed. But I went into it with two hypotheses. One was that they would want to hire out the writing help and that they would see value because there's so there's a lot of people who write content. They can go on Upwork. They can go on Fiverr and get somebody um, to write things for them. Would they see value in paying more for somebody like me who has the domain knowledge to bring to the equation, who can be a thinking partner and a writing partner, a business strategist for them and helping them build their business with strategic content. That was a hypothesis. I didn't know if that would hold true, but it was a way to combine writing and still stay connected to that leadership corporate working world, future of work um, space that I, I mean, I enjoy reading about it in my spare time. I didn't want to have to lose that as well. So as you launched into your writing business, uh, you kind of went broad, you know, content and took Mm. a little time to figure out what you wanted to do. How did you land on authority content? And just kind of walk us through that process. Mm. Yeah, I really could see that the space was so there's so many people who have a consultant and coach hat and the people who were able to differentiate themselves were adding deeper longer 
longer writing to their sites. They had a, they were building a platform. They were sharing their unique experience. They had a model that was specific to them. So I could see that pretty clearly. It was some of the work that they were already asking me to do. And I could see the difference once they had that content in their hands, the change that it, you know, gave them more confidence in their sales process. You could see how building the authority wasn't just for the sake of being able to say I'm an expert or where they landed on Google, but they carried themselves differently and how they talked about their work because they could see the evidence come together. They could see their research come together. And I've always enjoyed that form of content that feels interesting, you know, new connections being made, well um, connected to the research. Uh, it's just the writing that I enjoyed doing. And it's a little more difficult. So there's, I guess, a bit of a challenge in it too, to kind of, I always think of my work a bit as uh, sort of like puzzle pieces. The client comes with these bits of things and you need to knit it together you're not given the picture, but so you need to knit it together in, in a way that creates that strong visual and story for their clients. So it's just that it kind of came together as a space that was, I could see there weren't as many people doing that work as well. And so it felt like an opportunity to really step into it. Can you share what is working today in that thought leadership space for content? If I were to sit down and write my own thought leadership um, piece, you know, any tips on what to do, what not to do? Yeah, I think, you know, as we see, and not to make everything about AI, but it feels like lots of the conversations come back to AI. You both are spending lots of time there. It's all we do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to avoid it. And it's fun to talk about it. You can't avoid it. Um, I believe that the that the longer form content will be that uh, antidote, if you will, or anti venom. I don't know. Is that too harsh to AI? There's lots of great things about AI for sure, but that deeper thinking for both us as the writers as well as um, the reader. So the more that you can share your unique experience in the writing that you're doing. So not just talking about the thing, but your experience with the thing, whether it's with a client or the way that you looked at a situation, the first, the one thing AI won't have is firsthand experience. Well, at least not for the next little while, your clients aren't going to be going to AI to say, tell me what it's going to be like in the real world on the ground. Tell me your experience. And I believe that's the key piece that needs to come through in, in that thought leadership writing is, is your experience. The more that you can connect it to evidence as well, other people's primary research, secondary research, um, what other people are writing that bolsters, or even how what you believe is different from the mainstream thinking, even if there's evidence there, you may have proof to the contrary that what's worked before, you know, what we consider best practices that lead us forward. The pandemic showed us that there's no certainty or best practices aren't going to necessarily get us through. And so if you can speak to what you're seeing that's different from that um, can also help in, um, in that thought leadership work as well. 
I want to ask a little bit about the strategic side of this okay. kind of work because yeah. it, it's it's one thing to say, well, write long pieces that make new connections, but it's a lot more difficult than that. Obviously, yeah. you're you're not just talking about industry or subject matter, but you're you're taking into account the person who's writing, the kinds of things that they're teaching. So when you sit down to write for a new client and you know helping them build their authority, what does that strategy process look like? So the conversations always start with really understanding their business, their plans for their business. Where are they looking to, what's working well? Where are they looking to grow? Uh, what are some of the things they're doing over and over again that become, could become a signature program for them? Seeing what exists already and seeing what, you know, doing the things that, you know, are fairly, I would say, typical, right? We're looking at who their customers are, who their competitors are, understanding their ecosystem. And then, you know, it's a, I usually do two hour strategy session to really get into where do they want to go next? If we're doing brand messaging strategy or, or content strategy on, on that layer, it's understanding who's influencing their work and who's influencing their client's work and making sure that though understanding those voices and where they fit into the equation is my client looking to do something similar? Are they echoing what they're seeing? Is there a different element? Is there a gap they're seeing? And that informs also, you know, things like tone, level of complexity of the writing, topics they want to be known for. So, so many of those same things. If we're doing a program design strategy, it's really looking at what's their, what are all the different components of their work? Are they doing, are they doing workshops, keynotes, uh, online training, coaching? Are they doing their own strategy? What are all those different pieces? Do they combine them well right now? Or does it is it scattershot? And they're actually looking to, instead, I have a client right now, and they're looking to turn their one-hour repeated workshop into half-day, multi-month programs. And so figuring out how to knit those topics together. And then often that leads into content strategy because now they've got this new thing that they want to talk about externally as well to sort of build their their funnel. So clearly you do a lot more than write content. And it's clear yeah. from just hearing you talk about it, we know that because we work with you. But how how do you position yourself and talk about what you do and your own messaging and marketing so that potential clients who don't know you as well understand the depth that you provide and the level of strategy and are hopefully willing to pay more and also work with you in yeah. a different way. Yeah, it's tricky. It's taken me a while to figure this out. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm still, you know, tinkering with it a little bit. Um, often it starts with making a distinction, my distinction between content marketing and thought leadership. Um, content can be thought leadership. Not all, I forget how I do it, um, but not all content is thought leadership, but all thought leadership is typically content. Um, just explaining to people the difference that 
there's certain content marketing there. Likely it's a both and situation for them. There's certain content pieces they want to do, but then the deeper thought leadership that being a thinking partner to, for them is often a relief. As soon as I start saying thinking partner that I understand their business, having had their business, having been their client as well, their, their, sort of metaphorical client and understanding the space allows me to move really quickly into show, showing through examples, what I'm reading, what I've done recently, that I understand their space. And so for me, I can provide a shortcut for them as they start working with a new writer because I know the space, I know what they're trying to uh, emulate. Um, I think too, because I'm asking questions about their business model, you know, pricing, many of the things I hear, you know, you asking and and talking about when we're in the think tank, um, getting, digging deep into the inner workings of their business. It's, it's often a relief to them. The same issues we face as often solo practitioners of who do I talk to about this? It's so great to have, to be able to speak. I'm finding they say to me, it's so great to be able to talk to somebody who really gets it and can get there quickly. Um, And so I think the more you can show your clients that you understand their space and get them quickly to the part about, so now what, what are we going to, you know, what do you want to work on? Um, the more excited they are to kind of move that conversation forward. They can see that there's less homework, legwork, prep work that they need to do to get you up to speed. They can jump to the good stuff, which is seeing the outcomes that they want to have uh, you create. So while we're talking about thought leadership, thought content, um, Obviously, you know, it's, there's a lot of work that goes into a a really good piece of thought leadership content. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, you, you put it out into the world and it maybe, you know, gets a little bit of traction or it kind of disappears. And then you've got to have another piece of thought content ready to go. Yeah. I'm guessing that there's maybe a better approach than that, you know, a way to repurpose this and to reuse it in various ways. Can you maybe talk about how we can do that? Obviously, I'm asking this from a selfish standpoint in, you know, some of the stuff that we create that feels like it dies way too soon, even though it's really good, or, I know. but also seeing so many other copywriters doing the same thing. Yeah. I, when I talk to my clients and when I think about the thought leadership products that we're creating, I go, I, I'll say to them, let's imagine that nobody reads this and they're like, they go a little pale, right? They're thinking, oh my gosh. What? what? Yeah, okay, that's part of your possible? job, right? Yeah. But that's what we'll talk about is, okay, we've got this great piece. What are all the different ways that we can use this document? Um, not necessarily as is, although sometimes that's part of it. I will do um, pull quotes for, you know, some of the obvious things, right? That people will think of pull quotes for their social media person, um, talking to them about what is there a paragraph to create um, for a keynote pitch that you'll put on your website? Can we add this to your proposal process? Can we, and sometimes we're talking about that at the beginning, right? Where in the funnel do people get stuck? Cause it can inform the type of thought leadership we're going to tackle first. Some of the, the 
the work is like pre-funnel, right? Where you're sort of socializing maybe a new idea that people really need to understand. But sometimes it's actually, they just need to understand that they're not the only one who's gone through this and that you've done this work before. And so that might be more of a case study further down. Um, But thinking about, so can I take this thought leadership piece? Yes, it's on my website. I'm hopefully going to, for the bigger cornerstone pieces, I'm going to tune it for SEO so that I can get some traction in and and what's the CTA there. Um, Can I break it up into, you know, this, this PDF that I've created, can I break it up into four or five smaller blog posts? Can they be, um, you know, a LinkedIn series, I'll do a series of posts and then we'll create an article from those posts that, because articles get different um, algorithm on LinkedIn than posts do. Um, Can we attach it to their, um, discovery call confirmation process or page. Um, Can we use it as the basis for pitching podcasts or pitching other guest articles on different platforms? So really trying to think about as many ways as possible to repurpose the, the content, not necessarily just the piece as is as a PDF, but what are the different ways that we can talk about this great information that's inside of it? Do we create a contest with our community, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really, again, unless they have a big platform, they got a big list, lots of website um, views and, and traction, we sort of go into it with let's expect low volume and let's figure out as many places as we can that we're going to use it. Yeah, this makes me think of all all the things we could repurpose, Rob. It's making <laughs> yeah. me sick. Years of work, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, collect. You do. I've seen both of you do this well of collecting you know, a, a set of podcast episodes turning into a course, right? That as well. Um, yeah. Some of my clients are working the other way. They have a course already and they're trying to build the content around the course, yeah. but certainly a course workshop. I mean, the list could keep going, right? Of things. It's just continuing to think about, if you think about what your core message is, um, what are all the different versions of that that you want to get out into the world and ways to find your audience. All right, Rob, why don't you kick us off? What stood out to you from this conversation with Alyssa? Yeah, so a lot of things. Uh, let's talk a little bit about change. You know, we, we talked about change actually at the end of the episode as well, but change is a constant and, you know, there's so many things going on in the economy with shifts with AI. And so I just appreciate Alyssa's approach to this and to, you know, making changes in your business, growing comfortable with change. This is something that's really more about our mindset than about the things that are actually out there happening in the world. You know, if we approach this knowing that, hey, there's always going to be rough things happening or always going to be changes to uh, the way we do the work. Occasionally, there's going to become come a 
things like AI, which could completely change an industry. But as long as we're comfortable with that, then we can step, take a step back and start asking questions like, okay, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to use this in, uh, to my advantage? How am I set up to succeed even in spite of all of this other stuff? What new things do I need to do? What new approaches should I be considering? Who should I be talking to? So really smart just to be thinking about change. And I think Alyssa does that really well. Yeah, and there are a couple different messages too that Alyssa shared at different parts in the conversation. And I almost want to hold those messages, you know, close together. One was around acting as if you'll live for a long time. And that's something that she's had to do for a while since her cancer diagnosis. And thinking long term, even when you aren't guaranteed that long time and that long life, but also so making the plans, you know, like I like to think, okay, well, let me make a plan for my life as if I'm living to be 120, because that allows me to think differently about what opportunities are in front of me, even if it's not going to happen and, it's, <laughs> and I get hit by a car tomorrow. Um, but then she also mentioned focusing on what's right in front of you. And that's how we deal with overwhelm and all the changes that you're talking about, Rob, when we're like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do because 10 years from now, I might not even have a job um, because the industry is changing so quickly or maybe five years from now. So she also asked the question, what's something you can do today? Not six months from now, but what can you control today? And so I like I like both of those ideas together, long-term thinking to give opportunities and help you create a bigger vision, but thinking really more uh, myopic and so that you can avoid overwhelm and all the stress that we tend to feel when we go really big. Yeah, I under underlined that as well. You know, what is some small thing that you can do every day to move yourself forward, whether that's in your personal life or in your business? That's that's a really good idea. Uh, we, we tend to think about really big changes that we need to make in, you know, the things that we do, personal life, business, whatever. But really big changes happen over time by making really small changes. And uh, so that approach, I think, works really well. It, it's, it's all really about making the important stuff more urgent. That, that whole idea that, yeah, I, I'm planning on living a long time. But if it doesn't, you know, that doesn't work out, making sure the important stuff is the stuff I'm getting to first matters. Yeah. And then Alyssa also asked the question that guided her as she turned 50 and was figuring out her next pivot at that point. Um, her question was, what if it was easy? And that's such a powerful question that st st um, stuck with me as well, because I like to make things really hard. Uh, it's a gift. <laughs> if there's something easy, I can make it harder. And so that's something that I need to ask myself more often. From a business standpoint, again, another brilliant question, what would this look like if it were easy, right? And oftentimes I think we need to take a look at our business and say, okay, what is hard in the business? You know, is prospecting hard for me? If it wasn't hard, if it was easy, how would it be different? You know, what would I be doing differently? It's a really smart question to get at the root of things that we could change that will improve, make all kinds of improvements in, in what we do. And Alyssa talked about how she works with her clients today, how she talks about the work she does and positions herself. So she's viewed as more of a partner. I mean, that those were her own words. She calls herself a thinking partner. And um, she likes to share different examples uh, of how she understands the niche and the industry that she's working in 
to really separate uh, herself from every other writer in the space. And I think that's a good way if you really want to kind of show up as more of a, a thinking partner and um, more of a thought leader and more of a consultant at a different level with your clients, showing the knowledge base that you already carry in the industry uh, is really important. And that might be something you do in your own marketing. It might be something you touch on on the sales call, but that's something that Alyssa has done really well so that her prospects can turn into clients because they understand that they, she gets their space. So she'll be able to take off and, and run early on rather than trying to stumble through and figure out the ins and outs of the industry. Yeah. And there are so many copywriters who are doing this in their own business as well, creating this thought content, this, you know, showing up as leaders and strategists, sharing that, whether it's on you know social media, I, I tend to think of LinkedIn as its own separate category, but, um, and we're all doing this. And I loved how Alyssa also talked just about thinking about reusing that there's so much of it out there. And, you know, on Twitter, you know, a tweet has a half-life of a couple of minutes, right? If you don't see it in the, you know, that time, it, it's gone. Instagram's probably a little bit more than that. But again, after a day or so, most of the reels, most of the things are gone and, and off the feed. And so thinking about the stuff that we're talking about or helping our clients think about this, if we're writing this kind of content for our clients, it's not going to last unless we start to think about how do we reuse it. And she shared a couple of ways that she thinks through that. Um, it really got me thinking too. It's obviously, as we said during the interview, you know, we've got so many things we've talked about, done, taught, and it kind of, you know, it gets lost. It gets put into the underground and, and we don't mention it again, or, you know, happens in the think tank and it doesn't get taught elsewhere. And so it's great for the people who are there in those programs when we do it, but some of it gets lost. And so we need to be thinking about how do we recapture that? Not just us, all copywriters need to be doing this for their clients. That's why I love podcasting though, because it does have a longer shelf life uh, compared to those tweets. And um, so it feels it feels like it's worth the investment of time and energy it takes because you know it will last for a while. But I agree, I think repurposing is so hard for so many of us because it takes thought and time and consideration. And we often don't have that even though we want to because we're moving on to the next client project and we're late for a deadline and so worth slowing down to think through, even if you can't go back in time, like you're saying, Rob, and like, look at everything in our library of content, which we should do at some point. But if we could just start from today and as we record the next podcast or a, a workshop or the next email we write, think about how we can repurpose at least that. Because um, when I think about going backwards, I get really overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, I, I'm never going to be able to do that. But this is an opportunity that a lot of copywriters could help their clients with. I mean, our friend Sarah Hopkinson has done this with podcast content, and she's really good at helping identify those kinds of opportunities for her clients to resurface ideas that they talked about a year or two ago and make it fresh. Yeah, definitely. Great opportunity. You can form, create a package out of that. So let's get back to our interview with Alyssa and learn how she pivoted her business and integrated writing habits into her life that turned into her first lunch. I want to go back to the pivot idea. I know we, we talked around it and you shared so many ideas around how to approach it, but I feel like 
if I want to pivot and, and we're all going to be pivoting more and more frequently, yeah. what are some steps? It doesn't even have to be steps, but just some yeah. guidance we can take with us as we pivot. I use um, Jenny Blake's model from her book, Pivot. Uh, great title. Uh, she uses great, a basketball. Great model. Great book. It, great, yeah, everything. yeah, it's great. Yeah. Great. So she uses a basketball metaphor, which is always dangerous for me. I really should not use sports metaphors when I'm talking to people, but I'll give it a shot. So she uses basketball where you plant one foot and then you, you know, scan with the other one to see where um, to go next. I think it's to, I don't play basketball, but anyway, plant, right? So the idea being, and that's what I did with, with my business is what are the things that I do really, really well, that come easily to me, that I enjoy, um, you know, that what if it were easy, that's the foot you plant, that you want to keep, ideally keep in whatever that next iteration looks like. So it's plant and can take you in some new directions. And then it's scanning to see, you know, is it a trend that interests you, right? I see your, your, the, the two of you and your um, new AI for creatives podcast, right? Is, is exactly an example of that. It's something you do really, really well in podcasting and seeing this trend of AI that's coming, that's here and is going to continue to um, accelerate. It, you know, if it's not AI, there's lots of other things of interest. Maybe it's a gap, um, that you see in the market that you know you could fill for either your clients or maybe it's a new group of clients, but you're still saying planted in what you know you do well. Um, so that at least my experience was it accelerated a number of things early on in that new phase of, in my case, the brand new business. I didn't have to think about long form content, you know, I'd been a blog editor, I'd done a lot of long form content um, at the tech company. That was something I knew really well. So that helped me anchor the the domain knowledge that I had, allowed me to get right into that work right away. And then at the same time, figuring out how do I sell it? Where are my clients? You know, those types of things that were newer for me. Uh, It just made the entire process. It wasn't easy but it accelerated certain things that felt like early on I was creating some, some momentum, which I think can really help you keep going, getting that sense, even small, right? Like back to the, you know, coping and uncertainty through illness or whatever. It's the same idea, those small things that help you feel that you're, you're making momentum or sort of movement towards that new goal. So as you talk about momentum, it's kind of the perfect segue to talking about uh, writing habits that stick, which is a, a course, an idea that you've done a lot of thinking and working on. Talk to us a little bit about the course itself, but also like, how do we do that? How do we make our writing habits actually permanent? I guess because all three of us are writing books right now. It's probably... Um... Yeah, but it, but it's I'm not sure. Topical, it's like it? it, it's like it, it's like the worst road trip ever. Like I go 40 miles and then I you know yeah. stay there for two weeks and then I. Um, you know, I've, drive, been, yeah, I've been at the start, <laughs> just on the sidelines from the yeah, beginning. So so yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of relevance to us here. But I'm guessing there are a lot of people listening who are like, okay, yeah, if I'm a copywriter. Yeah. I'm pretty good at writing for my clients. How do I write for myself all the time? 
and I see this in as I hang out and check out um, other copywriters sites. Um, certainly lots of people have good traction with a newsletter, but getting those articles, you know, up and published, um, it's hard. I think there's a couple of things that really have helped me build a writing habit that's continued uh, for quite some time and also help my clients and, and people in my course. The first is having a system for your ideas and where you collect them. So if you're like how I used to be, there's pieces of paper everywhere with ideas for book, chapter bits, blog articles, a new course, a new whatever. Uh, I've got, you know, I had Evernote, started some bits of things in Google Docs, et cetera. I tried out Obsidian, you know, there's pieces of writing bits everywhere. So moving everything into the same place. So all of my ideas go in Notion. I have a quick start on my phone through left swipe that allows me always to put them in the same place. I can tag them. I All of my writing inputs go there as well. So uh, my Readwise, which was a huge change in starting to use Readwise, not just for my electronic, uh, for using Kindle, but I, it's um. Readwise, if you don't know what it is, is an app that stores your highlighted passages from your books, Kindle, paper. Now they have a new app, a reader app, um, which was part of the beta for that allows you to clip from emails, um, online articles, different things. And again, the highlights all go into Readwise. The app serves those highlights a set amount of your choosing on a daily or weekly basis. So it's also that space repetition, which was one of the things when my brain broke a little bit coming out of chemo, I needed to find a way to resurface things back to myself to sort of remember what I had learned um, before. So collecting and organizing your writing inputs, huge part of it. Second bit is uh, sense making, which is taking the time as you look at those writing snippets from the different things that you're reading, taking the time to add your own two cents to that snippet and turning it into a paragraph of your own, tagging it as well. Um, So taking the time to process, what do I think about this idea? What's my experience relative to it? Do I agree, not agree? You can start to create some prompts for yourself that help you make sense of. So instead of just being a flow through of, oh, that's interesting and parking it forever, taking the time to add your own ideas to it. And so that starts to build up this thinking as part of writing rhythm for you. Which leads to the third step, which is really the habit. And the biggest epiphany that I had around a writing habit was um, watching, this is going to feel like a real left turn, but watching the Jennifer Lopez halftime special on Netflix. She's a machine, right? She's um, prolific in multiple domains and really impressive. And so this was a show about her preparation for the Super Bowl performance that she did. And what hit me while I watched that show was sometimes she's in the studio doing choreography specifically for the show, but a lot of times she's in the gym 
just doing the reps. She's in the dance studio doing the reps. Sometimes when she's practicing, there might be something really great that she does that she extracts and puts in the big show, but she keeps the practice and the show separate. And what I realized was whenever I would sit down to write, um, as I'm supposed to do, you know, every day, like all the experts do, I was trying to jump right into the big show. What was the big piece that I wanted to write? And I switched that to be just writing, free writing, or from my ideas list or my sense making and creating, I call it a sandbox. So it's a separate folder on Google Drive of started articles that I add to. Um, sometimes I'm on a daily binge, sometimes it's weekly, but I'm adding to that collection of articles that are related to my work, what interests me. There's always a start of articles collection that I have, which makes it much easier to draw from for client work, for my own work. You know, I'm looking at creating a lead magnet and I have a starting point of a number of things that I can dip into. And so that writing habit has taken the pressure off of the big writing, but it's also fueling and feeding into the bigger writing that I want to do. There's several free writing bits that are going to be fed into the book that I'm writing. Um, and I'm sort of testing out the language with it, but I've always got this kind of machine going of idea collection, sense making, writing practice that has made it so much easier to actually move into the publish stage. Can you picture that, that that would be helpful? Do you do similar things? Conceptually, it makes sense to me and the systematizing of it really helps. So I feel like I need to listen to that a couple of times. I think for me, <laughs> okay. I, like a hundred times. Yeah, I, at least a hundred times. I mean, yeah. I, okay. all of the, the I think for really me, the problem is, hmm. well, it's not complicated necessarily. I think there's a level of discipline that you have to bring to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also the starting point where, I mean, my sandbox, like, like you were talking about, like, yeah, I've got pieces in Notion, I've got pieces in Evernote, I've got pieces in GoodNote, I've got pieces in Drive, I've got tons of pieces on my hard drive and all kinds. I mean, so just getting to that point where you can make it work, I think is a little bit of a a bump. But I think once you get over that, then it becomes a lot easier. So my advice to people is try ignoring all the other stuff. Set a place for your ideas, set a place for your sense making. For me, those are in the same place in Notion. So my ideas list and where I collect my snippets are all in Notion and start a sandbox and just start adding to your sandbox. And as you think about something to write about, you might think, well, if you're me, you'll write about the same thing several times and each time think it's wildly amazing and fresh. And then you discover you've written about it many times before or several times before. But sometimes you'll think, oh, I actually wrote about this before. Let me go find it and I'll pull it, you know, you pull it into your sandbox. But it might be actually easier to just start with a clean slate and build the habit of even just a few minutes a day, five minutes a day. I started with 10 minutes a day. The habit that I connected, you know, it's habit building like anything else, connecting it to um, something that's already existing in your life. For me, it was after I've had my first coffee, I will write, I will do my writing habit for 10 minutes. 
Sometimes it was adding some ideas to the idea machine. Sometimes it was at sort of adding my thoughts to an existing clip. And other times it was just picking up a, an idea and writing about it off the top of my head um, or procrastinating on it and picking up photo from Unsplash that would set the stage and make it feel like a real piece. But I was always in that rhythm of working in, in those places, but the habit was just anchored to that place in time that always I sat down to just sort of freely with no pressure or expectation, write about a thing. I guess does that okay, feel where more I'm, doable? Where I'm getting stuck is um, I think this is just a me thing. Where I'm getting okay. stuck, I have a habit, and I think Rob and I have developed some solid writing habits around shipping our newsletter out. Yeah, to our list. We each do it twice a week, and so that's really helped me. I know those are my days. I will get something out, but then there's this huge block between that habit and actually creating content for a book, which feels mm. like it is, you know, the big the big football game rather than being in the studio. And so I have a hard time. It's almost like there is this wall up in between and I can't make that move through it. But it sounds like you're talking about and it sounds easier to make that transition. Yeah, I see how those feel different. Um, I had the same, so I had a client, as I think I sort of mentioned briefly earlier, I had a client who asked me to ghostwrite their first or their second book last year. And I had not written at that volume yet. So I had the same concern or block that you were feeling, which was how do I go from writing newsletters to writing 50,000 words for this thing? Um, What helped me get through it was realizing that a book is, you know, if you break it down, a collection of essays, which are, which could be between 1500 and, uh, you know, the longest chapters I think are sort of in the 5,000 words. Um, sometimes we chop them up, but, um, so then it's a collection of essays. Well, how are you going to, so for me, what worked was creating the outline, having my ideas, creating the outline, mind mapping each of the chapters about what the different topics were, that becomes your idea bucket to draw from. You can write them in the order if that feels good to you. For some people, their books aren't necessarily sequential, and so it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, But that helped for me, seeing that structure of here are all the different ideas we want to write about, and I would pull the next one And in this case, it was sort of, um, there were some sequential pieces that we needed to figure out before we could write the end. Um, But that gave me the the same flow that I described earlier, right? It's like the outline, all the ideas, fleshing out the ideas from a research perspective. What were we going to pull? What it, what were we going to use as evidence throughout? It was in a research-based book. Um, and then picking up those chunks at different times. And um, I didn't change my client. This is what astonished me. Didn't change my client commitments. Uh, I had like a few bits here and there that I immediately blocked for the client work, but it's not like I went completely offline for six months to write this client book. Um, We ended up doing the first draft in about seven weeks. Wow. Um, 
And I had other client things throughout that. So maybe you just need Alyssa to write your book for you. I think so. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know what? It is astonishing to me that I did it. And I think once you get in the rhythm of it, you look forward to it because you can see it starting to come together it's amazing to see it unfold that the things you've been carrying around, that's how I felt about my course. The things I'd been carrying around in my head were now like on a page and out into the world. It, it feels great. So even if you don't quite know how to start or where you're going to find the time, getting those ideas flowing and picking up little pieces of it and testing it out can help you start to see how it's going to take shape. I promise. It's fun. I promise. I I believe you. I believe (laughs) you. I mean, I I felt the same thing when I wrote my book, although I've now looked back on it and I I hate it. You know, I can't stand to even think about it. I I wonder if like David McCullough looks back on Truman and, you know, he's like, oh, that, that old thing is so, you know, 1984 or whatever. and, (laughs) And you should be reading my latest stuff now. I don't know. I've, you know, I've read, I forget who said it about, you should be embarrassed. It might be Seth Godin, right? We should be embarrassed about our earlier writing. And you've still written a book. It's still like, and hopefully I'm not embarrassed about what I wrote this morning. It's what I wrote. But I'm saying like, even if you cringe and look back at it, um, the headline alone gives you street cred, which which I'm not trying to minimize that. You're right. It is, it is an accomplishment. So you actually took that thinking process though, turn it into a course and sold it to a whole bunch of people without, without a list. No list. Zero. Tell us how you did that. I think I discovered the other day, I have one person on my list. Melissa, thank you very much. I don't know who they are. Um, but I, yeah, I don't have a list. I don't write to a list yet. Um, and so so, how did you do that? How do you sell a course with no list? (sighs) Um, I almost didn't. I almost said, oh, like you can't. All the people say you need a list. I'm not all the people, but I kept reading you need a list. So there were a couple things. Um, I had a really clear picture of who the audience was and what was missing in their life that I could help them with. That They felt urgency around not writing and that I could help them unlock that because of what I had worked through. Um, and I felt it really strongly. This was something that uh, almost on an emotional level, it's really important to me that we have more diverse voices out in the world, that pe- more people need to be writing and publishing. So I felt this urgency for myself and this clear picture. Um, I had a pretty good landing page that I just created in Canva. So it wasn't even connected to my website, but I had it in Canva I got some great feedback from um, from both of you and from the think tank that allowed me to really shape it. So I tested that landing page a number of times um, and tweaked it. I, I probably spent in and out of it three months tweaking the messaging on it. Um, and um, I also, there were specific outcomes. I had a unique mechanism, which was, I think, encouragement from both of you. So a model and ways to differentiate, you know, why my writing course, there's a ton of them. Why this one? Why now? Um, And I knew I had a network of people who had said to me, you know, 
teach me or I want to know. Like just, I just needed a small number of people. I'd set the cap at 15. And I honestly thought at one point, um, I remember saying to my partner like the week before I was launching that I really thought it'd be like three or four people and maybe the fourth person, maybe would they bring their mom and we do this little thing and I could test it out. And instead what happened was I, I sold all 15 spots, which isn't a big launch, but it felt That's right. incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. And people, there were actually strangers in my course, which I also didn't expect. They were, you know, connections of connections, but still there were people who, saw the page. It meant something to them. They jumped in. They even wrote to me after they signed up to tell me that the page spoke to them and they were excited about starting, which I absolutely did not expect. And, But I also didn't build the course before I sold it. So the course was really clear in my head. I knew what the modules were. I had a, I knew what the titles of the handouts were. But I hadn't, I hadn't, there were no slides. I didn't even have a slide template for my brand yet because I hadn't done any workshops um, before. So then once I sold it, then I needed to do all of those things. But I didn't want to put in the effort of building the course, the slides and all the templates unless I knew people were going to buy it. And so I waited until I'd sold it and then started building it. And I built it. It was like the classic build the plane as you fly it. I was building slides in the week between sessions. It was a five, six week course. Uh, I ran it live. And then there was a Google Drive where all their handouts and recordings would go. So super low um, framework, like not a, I didn't have any supportive technology or I didn't have circle space or anything like that at that point, just as bare bones as I could, as I could do it. And so, yeah, so the test worked. I got good feedback. There's a number of things that I'm going to change. People struggled to do the homework because of there were a lot of different ideas. And so I'm going to pull those out as videos and focus, give them more time to write in the class um, is the biggest change that I'm going to make. But I'm, yeah, I'm going to run it um, two or three times a year and continue to run it live. Um because I like that dynamic. So, yeah. All right. To break it down even more, because it's, you know, hearing that you filled it all 15 spots with no list. Um, maybe I missed it, but can you just share some of the activities that you did? You know, Oh, how I specifically? A hundred people in your network. And did yeah. you ask them to share with their list? What did that look like? Yeah. yeah. So it was a list of, I think about 60 people in different encounters. So, People, there were a couple of people that I knew had lists of their own. I didn't ask them to share it out because I sold the page through Canva. It was registration through a Google form and then I was invoicing out. It felt a little bit under polished um, to be, you know, sharing widely on their list, but they were people who knew people. And uh, I shared it within, um, certainly within the think tank community. And uh, I almost didn't post on LinkedIn. And then I thought, what the heck? I'm going to post it on LinkedIn and see what happened. And that's how I got the remaining, I think, five spots through um, a couple posts on LinkedIn. That's so, amazing. I mean, you know, I knew I had a good network. I had built up, I think, a decent reputation as somebody who was how I was settling into the space, sharing a little bit about my experience with writing. I talked about ghostwriting a book um, with, you know, in LinkedIn. So yeah. So I, I, 
that's really the extent of it. Um, I sent a couple people a follow-up email. It also, I timed it intentionally around the new year because I know a lot of people build a new year's resolution to write more. And so I was trying to tap into that zeitgeist a little bit as well. Um, and yeah, I think it was more, uh, the timing and really honing that landing page that meant that people were jumping in. As a, as a quick follow-up. So just to kind of summarize, because yet many copywriters are launching their own products yeah. now, which is so exciting. Can you give us two tips, two or hmm. three tips from your launch experience? What's working based on what worked for you? And we know it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a couple of things. One is being really clear about your audience and the outcome, what's the value that they're getting that you know, similar to how I think about when I coach people on books, it's the, what's the experience going to give them? So not promises that it's going to make them rich forever and ever or famous or whatever, but what's the promise of the experience? What will they come out of the, the, the experience itself having accomplished? Um, and being able to speak to that really clearly in the landing page, testing that and and really being clear that it's connecting with um, your audience. So that offer is really solid and that you know you can deliver on it. Um, and then I think the second thing, if you're doing like a multi-month offer or something is live, then uh, checking in with people as you go to see how their experience is shaping up. Are they getting the value out of it that they wanted? I added some free coaching, like half an hour drop-in sessions. I did some body doubling for people who are neurodivergent. I added that into the course so that they would have, you know, time to write um, together. So staying in tune with your, with your, um, customers as they go through the course, not just at the end and trying to, you know, make some small adjustments as you go means that they're coming out of it. Like I've got really solid testimonials coming out of it. They didn't necessarily get out of it what they expected to going into it, but because they felt supported along the way that I was invested in their success, the, they had favorable experiences to report back as a result, which was great. So that'll help me in selling it in the future. So I know we're almost out of time, but I wanted to touch on this. Uh, is my last question for you, Alyssa. Um, we, a little while ago, interviewed one of our mentors, Todd Brown, on the podcast, and he talked about discipline, yes. uh, specifically the discipline is a choice. And yes. I know we, we made some comments about this at the time on that podcast. People can go back and listen to it. And um, obviously, there are, are ways to agree and disagree with that sentiment. But given your experience with chronic illness, with pivoting your business so many times, I'm just interested in your take on that idea that discipline is a choice or, or maybe it's not. Can I rant for a moment? Uh, if you, if you want to rant, you certainly can. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember that podcast episode distinctly. Um, and I was driving and I was really angry and frustrated because <clears throat> what it, what I heard, I, I don't believe this was necessarily the intention, but what it felt like was, if I got up earlier, if I was just determined and worked harder, that I could 
feel more disciplined in my work. And for me, with the chronic issues that I have with with um, energy and thing, I just can't time block. I can't set my alarm for four a.m. two mornings a week. It's it's physically impossible. Um, so initially, you know, I started. I got home and I'm like, I'm going to write about this. I'm going to post right away as my like opposite take, which is sometimes what I use writing for. I wrote the conclusion first because I was so sure that I was going to stick to my guns that discipline is not a choice, and here's why. And that is still, I still believe that that's true on a whole scale level. We can't just hustle culture our way through our businesses. It, it, it's not sustainable. Some people can sustain it much, much longer, but there's places where it will break down or fracture, maybe that we don't even see in relationships or other things. And where I landed was we can choose to be disciplined about certain things. And that's the balance that I came, the sort of landing place that I came, came to, meaning I always have a cup of coffee so I can anchor my habit of writing to that cup of coffee. And that's how my writing habit, and I'm very disciplined about that writing habit. Um, there's other places, you know, I don't have a morning routine, but I have a morning window of a menu of possible things that I can pull in depending on how I feel. I'm disciplined around that, but a super disciplined, structured person would look at that and say, that's like way too open and flexible. You need to be more rigid, but for me, it works. So that's the, I don't know if that works for you, but for me, that's the happy medium place that I came to. I like that. And I actually think, I mean, Todd would probably agree with that. I, you yeah. know, I think as an overriding theme, discipline is good, but life, kids, addictions, mm -hmm. illness, there are things that interrupt our ability to be disciplined. And yeah. uh, I think Todd would say, to the extent you can't, don't let those be excuses, you know, to take them Air. farther than, than they are. But at the same time, you got to take care of yourself. You got to make sure that life works right. And it's not always about hustle. In fact, I know for a fact, Todd would push against hustle culture in a heartbeat. Uh, okay. He's not that way. So okay. Yeah. But that's it, yeah, a good take. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Or we just need to bring him back on so the two of you can battle it out. Page match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay. I have two more questions, but I know we're way over time. So if we don't have time for two more. Yeah. No. Okay. Sure. First, first one is selfish for us. You're in the think tank. You just mm -hmm. started your second year. We think you're amazing. We never want you to leave the think tank. I would just love to hear about um, maybe it could be a benefit for you, one benefit for you from the experience, or maybe something that surprised you about the experience in the think tank. Hmm. <clears throat> so many things. Um, I uh, the the way I describe when I meet with new think tankers, the way I describe my experience is that I felt like I joined with a cocktail party in full swing and that I needed to do all these things really, really quickly. I joined for a reason because I wanted to grow my business and I was feeling this urgency around doing things. And so I started doing what felt like a really scattershot approach, you know, trying some different things, testing this, um, watching, you know, someone run a workshop, et cetera. 
but I couldn't see how it was all hanging together. And then like that movie title, um, everything everywhere all at once, it, it sounds exaggerated to say it, uh, but it all of a sudden, everything just started to fall into place. So the conversation that I'd had with both of you around how to organize, focus on strategy and bring that into the center of my business and still have um, some writing that I do for clients, how to speak to an audience of done for you, but also have a DIY course, how to, you know, connect those, um, you know, those types of things, the clarity that I've gotten and the confidence that that gives me when it's clear, like I feel it in my, in my body, the way I talk about my business is different now. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and it sounds contrived when you talk about a community, but it really is the mix of people, the people in the in the think tank, and people come and go at different times, joining and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but everyone to a person is is generous in their time, in their ideas, in joining sessions where we're talking about other people's businesses, um, and that has just been invaluable to ha- to now feel like. Before I was this solo person trying some stuff, and now I feel like I'm part of this network of of copywriters and writers that I can reach out to and um, stay connected with and learn from. And um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. And a final question: I can't not ask you this as you know, a change former change consultant and. Um, futurists that I feel like you are, what does the future of copywriting look like to you? That's a big question. Um, (laughs) It's going to be, I don't, I I don't know. I mean, I feel so new to be, to be speaking to that. I feel like it's this really interesting time. And because I'm new, maybe these interesting, delicious times have happened in many, many times before for people who have had longer businesses in this space. But I feel like this really interesting time where AI is going to make a dramatic difference in our businesses. But my hope is that it's actually going to free up some of the things that keep us from the deeper thinking, the more interesting work that we're going to be able to do. And so if we can harness the power of it, it's going to take our work in some really interesting directions. Even, you know, the just the conversations around copyright infringement and AI and, you know, a number of things where knowing that your writing has come from, you know, if I think about the client's perspective, that I can have a conversation with a real life person who's done these things and who's going to write real life first person content for me, there's value in that that won't go away. And so I I think it's a really interesting time. I think we need to stay close to the changes. It's one of the things I'm struggling to figure out where to put AI in my business and how to optimize it. I'm still working on automation in general for my business. And so I'm still trying to figure a lot of these things out, but I'm trying to stay close to it because I think there's a real opportunity there. I don't know if that's futurish enough of what you were asking. Um, but yeah, it's interesting times. Very interesting. And since we are a little over time, we're going to end it there. But we may have to bring you back just to 
to continue the conversation at some point. Alyssa, if somebody wants to find out more about you or to find out about, about your course, where should they go? Yeah. So my website um, is shiftwisdom.com and the course um, next cohort will be launching in May, uh, but they can also find me on LinkedIn. I happen to be the only Alyssa Burkus, I think, on LinkedIn. So it makes it easy for people to find me. So you can find it's me there very too. easy. Yeah. So if you want to get the words out, you want yes. to talk to Thank Alyssa you. for sure. Thanks, awesome. Alyssa. Thank, Thank you, you, Alyssa. We appreciate you and are just so grateful we get to work with you in a think tank and spend time with you. Thank you both. That's the end of our interview with Alyssa Burkus. Rob, what else grabbed your attention? Again, lots of things uh, we should, while I'm thinking about it, I want to mention, you know, we talked about Jenny Blake pivoting the plant and scan model. We interviewed Jenny Blake on the podcast. That's way back in episode 41. Definitely worth a listen. I love her book, Pivot. Uh, it gave me a lot of things to think about as we were making changes to our business and as I was pivoting from my personal business to working with you. And I think it could be really useful for other people as well. Check out that book. But if, if you don't want to read the whole book, definitely check out the podcast episode because she talked about the idea of planting one foot and then moving you know, in different directions until you find the right thing that connects so that you're ready to make the pass, the step, whatever the next change is in your business. Yeah, it's such a great visual, the basketball visual of pivoting while you have a planted foot. I think that we're gonna pivot faster and faster as we move forward. And so it might be, you know, if you picture that basketball player, like a basketball player might be twirling around faster and faster. Um, and maybe even the planted foot starts to shift and it forward because, because of all the pivoting we'll have to make as copywriters and marketers and creatives moving forward. So I think just, I need to wrap my head around that, um, because it's not going to be the slow pivot moving forward. Yeah. What else stood out to you, Kara? Um, I mean, I thought it was fun that the three of us were talking about writing our books, even though. I think at least two of us are not may not, may not be writing actively. I think it's fun that I think it's fun that you know uh, you and I like to talk about writing our books on the podcast. I think that's probably as close as I get to actually writing it half the time. But it's it's um, anyway. Maybe we should stop talking about it so that we do it. Uh, and I enjoyed hearing about her process. I've heard about Alyssa's process before. I think it's a really smart process for collecting ideas for sense making. It's really brilliant. And so I'm glad she was able to talk through that. I think it's going to help a lot of copywriters. It helped me think through the whole sense making part of it, where it's, I can take content and then add my two cents to it, add one viewpoint, or maybe I disagree with it. And it, it feels easier to create content when I'm not thinking about writing it from scratch. You know, like I have to come up with all the ideas from scratch. That's really overwhelming. And we don't have to do it. So um, I love that Alyssa is giving us an easy way for us to create more content um, through that, that process. Yeah, sense making to me is the thing that often, I think a lot of us skip it when we're thinking through content. And it dovetails really nicely with an idea that we talked about with a guest uh, for our future podcast. It's coming out in a few weeks with, um, with Linda. And we talked a little bit about, you know, talking about all this stuff that we know or that we've learned elsewhere and how to do it without 
you're talking about other people's ideas in a way that steals ideas, but how we can basically show up and talk about the stuff that matters to us in a way that helps us establish our authority. And I think if you skip the sense making, if you, if you don't stop and think about ideas, what do I think about this? How do I approach it? How do I think differently? Where's the original person wrong or where are other people wrong? What are the um, uncommon ways to approach this? You know, is the industry doing this in a way that another industry isn't? Like there's so many ways to piece this together and it's a really good step when we're talking about the content that we want to write for ourselves, whether that's a tweet or, you know, a, a medium article or something on our own blogs or a book or a podcast, whatever. Yeah. And that is Linda, Linda Perry, Linda, our friend, Linda Perry, who will be on the show soon. Um, and I think you do a good job of that, Rob. I think you do a good job of sense making and um, that's part of your process. So I think it's something that I want to lean into more. I also, struggle to figure out my my idea collecting process. I think I can borrow from Alyssa's, but because I'm trying to get off my phone, <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out how to make these processes work when I don't want to have my phone next to me um, throughout the day. And so maybe Alyssa can help me privately. Yeah, when we talk about sense making, we we talked a little bit about that with Anne Lore on the podcast uh, a couple months ago, and she talked about her idea collection process. And then we have in the AI course that you and I created, there's a demo of this AI tool called Mem Mem AI, and along with that demo, we kind of showed how it collects different ideas and and is able to use the AI tools to reuse it. I'm actually excited to, to use Mem as one of my storage places. You know, as I, I think I mentioned, you know, talking with Alyssa, it's like, I've got them all over the place. I've got them in notebooks and you know, documents and, and Mem is a tool that brings it all together and then starts making those connections for you. And so, uh, you know, Mem won't be the only tool like that. You know, Notion may start to add some AI that does that, or, you know, some of the other tools, um, Roam Research, those kinds of things. But uh, there's, there's a real opportunity here to use tools like AI to make those connections for us. Yeah. And Alyssa would be the first person to say, and maybe she did say this in the interview, that it's not really about the tools. It's about the process. And so we can all customize it. You know, if we don't want to use the same tools that Alyssa mentioned or Mem, um, you know, we can figure out what works best for us, but it's the whole idea of collecting it, organizing it, turning it into something that is useful so you can have a writing practice and stick with it. Yeah, I think the third part of that writing practice, the having a sandbox to play around with is another really important step. You know, we're not always writing for the world. The thing that we're writing, yeah, some version, some future version of it may be on stage at some point, or maybe the thing that I'm talking about on a podcast or in a, an article or a book. But what I'm writing today is just for me. I can mess around with it. I can play around with it. I can say dumb things. I don't have to worry about it being perfect. and if we're going to be serious about a writing habit, having that mindset as we are sitting down with that, that draft document is really, really important. I think that might be my problem because anytime I do sit down to write, I'm like, this is, I'm going to share this with the world. So I'm missing that private sandbox where I can just play. Maybe that's what I need next. Perhaps, perhaps. All right. And Alyssa, my last note is just, I, I like that she mentioned J-Lo. I have not seen that documentary. I'd like to see it. But the whole idea around keeping the practice, the practice is separate from the big show. And the big show could be writing the book or 
whatever it is, a client project, but keeping those two separate. Um, and but they all by keeping them separate, they actually do feed each other and they feed the system. And so I, I liked that that idea that works for my brain. Yeah, my last note is a little different, but Alyssa, she was talking through the course that she created. I think it's really important you know, to to follow that kind of a process where you validate the need for the product before you actually create it. Uh, we've seen people create products. In fact, you and I have created products that you know we didn't actually validate right before, and they didn't necessarily take off the way that we had hoped. Uh, it's really, really smart to do what she did, like sell it, make sure there's an audience for the thing, and then and then create it. We actually did that process when we created the accelerator, and that's one of our most popular programs because it really does match a marketing need. And then just being very clear on that offer. What is that offer that you've got? And making sure that at the end, the, the buyers, whoever's taking that offer, uh, gets the value that they expected. Uh, is this me? Yeah, yeah, okay. So we wanna thank Alyssa for joining us on the podcast to talk about how she's made thought leadership a key piece of her business. If you wanna connect with Alyssa, you can find her at shiftwisdom.com, S-H-I-F-T, wisdom.com which we'll link to in the show notes. And if you're interested in learning more about the Think Tank and joining us for one of the retreats that we talked about at the top of the show, head over to copywriterthinktank.com to find out. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. You can check out our newest podcast all about AI at aiforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed today's episode, because Alyssa's brilliant, please, please review the show. Please review this show today and we'll share it on a future episode. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money.